Today we're going to be looking at a passage from the prophet Isaiah, where he says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not be faint. We've heard the uh, reading from Isaiah, so I'm going to do the second reading from Romans chapter 12. The Apostle Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ. And individually we are members of one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry and ministering, the teacher and teaching, the exhorter and exhortation, the giver and generosity, the leader and diligence, and the compassionate in cheerfulness. Thanks be to God. Let's, uh, let's pray. Open our hearts to your word, O Lord, and open your word to our hearts for our greater good and your greater glory. Amen. Well, let me say it's, it's good to be with you. Can you handle a, a compliment? This is my opinion, but I'm not the only one who thinks this. You've got one of the best congregations here in the United Church of Canada. And one of the best staff compliments. Yeah, yeah. Um, Orville's away, of course. He uh, covered for me when I was on sabbatical a few years ago, so I figured I owed him one. Now, sometimes with folks, when he's introduced me, he has introduced me as his older and wiser brother. He's got part of that right, I am older. I am older. Matter of fact, uh, in July, I was away for a little break, and I came back to Niagara to our home there. The mail had stacked up, and there was a letter from the federal government saying that they were going to start sending me money in August to celebrate my 65th birthday in July. I thought that was real nice of the government. I haven't seen it yet, it's too early in the month, but uh, yeah, so I'm 65, I'm Moore's older brother. And uh, 40 years ago, this uh, spring, I was ordained, so I've been at ministry for 40 years, I've been uh, 65 years on this planet, and uh, when you're around for a while like that, as you've heard, I've done a lot of different things, most of them only a couple of weeks, and then I'd get fired, but that's a different thing. If you keep your eyes open and you keep your ears open and you keep your 
heart open. You can learn some lessons. And so I'm just going to share three lessons that I've learned when I was thinking back over, over 40 years of ministry. And the first is the value of the person. The value of the person. When you've been a Christian a long time, certain scriptures tend to be ones that you carry around with you. And for some reason, for many, many years, I've carried around Luke 12, 7, where Jesus is teaching to some of his friends, and he says, you are worth more. You are worth more than many sparrows. You are more valuable, one translation puts it, than the birds. He says specifically, that we have value. I'm gonna once in a while come and get some water. Uh, I lost my throat uh, last year. Actually wore out a vocal cord. They had to put an implant on it in Toronto. And uh, so I need to drink some water. But uh, this value of the person really impacted me. When uh, we moved from rural New Brunswick to Halliburton, and her oldest, she's 41 now, but at that point in time, she was starting kindergarten. Now, where we lived, the church was there, the mass was there, and the school was just over there. So I uh, walked Sarah on her first day in May with you. They go to check out what kindergarten will be like the next day. And she's bouncing along and perky and all excited. Oh boy, I get to go to school today. And I'd arranged to uh, meet her after uh, the day was done. And she comes down the street and she's drooping. All the bounce is gone, the spark is gone. And I say to her, Sarah, what happened? She said, well, it's what the kids said. I said, well, what did the kids say? Well, they called me the minister's daughter. What did you want them to call you? Well, Sarah James, of course. Five years old. Am I supposed to stand somewhere? <laughs> Five years old, and she already has this sense of her value before God. This was reinforced in a couple of years later. We're still living in Halliburton, and Barb and I are driving in to Toronto from the east side, and we see the uh, population sign. Now, this is back early 80s. It said, Metropolitan Toronto, population 2,144,000. And then it said, plus two. Plus two. So somebody had stopped inside the 401, defaced government property, put a plus two sign on the population. And I'm driving into the city thinking, who did that? I mean, what? who would do that? Strange thing to do. And so I start imagining, well, maybe, maybe it's two young friends moving into this large city from small town Ontario. They want to stake their turf. Toronto's not going to be the same anymore. It's 2,144,000 plus two. Or maybe it's an excited father 
His wife has just given birth to twins. And he wants to announce it. Can't afford the rates in the Toronto Star, so he goes to the... Goes to the sign, 2,144,000 plus two. This place is more valuable because I'm here. Value the person. And then became even more of an impact on me back some years later. I'm in Niagara Falls, mid-90s, get a phone call from the funeral director saying, John, we got a rather unique situation. We wonder if you can help us with it. And he described it. There were seven human remains of people who had gone over the falls. They could not be identified. They'd taken DNA, done everything they could, couldn't find any family members anywhere. I said, you know, will you do a, a graveside service for these people? So, I mean, 40 years I've done a lot of funerals. Some of them, you get my age and you'll understand this, they sort of blur after a while. But this one I remember. Only time I've ever been at a mass grave. There are three caskets laid out, four cremated remains on top. There's a couple of people from the funeral home, a couple of people from the cemetery, one person from the region of Niagara, they're paying for the burial services and me. What do you say at a no-name funeral? So I went to Jesus, who had said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd knows his sheep. They will not escape from my hand. And I said to those folks who had gathered, I said, we don't know who these folks are. We don't know their name. We don't know their story. We don't know what drove them into the thundering waters of Niagara. But there is one who does, and one who will never let them go. Because we are more valuable than the birds, the value of the person. Second lesson, second lesson, is the value of the Christian community. And Katie alluded to that when she was reading my, uh, my bio there. When, uh, when I was ordained in 77, the United Church had what I call a Sea Canada First Plan. And that is if you were healthy, you were sent somewhere to serve somewhere in the country. So we ended up in rural New Brunswick. I'd been there about a year or two. I had three churches in the St. John River Valley. And it was uh, December. I was lived about 20 miles away from the furthest church out. For some reason, I was going into Brown's Flat that, uh, that evening. And the church had two rooms. There was the sanctuary, and there was a little room off to the side. And it was, you know, like 7, 7.30 on uh, Wednesday night in December. There's lights on in the church. Well, I have a spiritual gift of nosiness. So I thought, I didn't know there was any meetings. I better find out what's going on. I'm the minister. So I go in and there's all these tables set out and there's all these baked goods. Christmas baking, Christmas cake, bread, tarts, all that kind of thing. 
I thought maybe they were doing it for me. No. I said, well, what's happening? They said, well, you know Marie's story. Yes, I knew Marie's story. She was part of our congregation uh, undergoing chemotherapy uh, that December. Three teenage uh, sons, husband at home. And they said, well, we decided we would try and do something for her. Now, so half tons are loaded. Everything was taken to Marie's home later that night. I'm a smart pastor. I go visit Marie the next day. I figure there'll still be some left. And I learned what had happened. There was a, a woman in the UCW. She had a, a gift. I, at the time, I didn't understand all this. But she had a gift of mercy, compassion. And whenever there was a need in the community, Sandra's heart just opened up and went out to that person. And so Sandra said, listen, it's Christmas. Marie's got these sons. She can't bake. She's doing chemo. We need to help. There was another lady, her, her name was Dodie, that's her name. This is the 70s. Had this been today, she probably would have been a captain in the military. She could organize and give orders. And so she said to a host of people, well, you do the buns and you do the cake and you do the bread. And there was a whole lot of people in Browns Flat UCW had a gift of service, of helping. And they'd all pitched in, and that was the result. And that wouldn't happen had it not been for the Christian community. So part of what I value is that Christian community. This was reinforced again for me just five years ago. Our, uh, our congregation in Niagara, the one I served at the time, was going through a program that I, I know you've done here called uh, Unbinding the Heart, Unbinding the Gospel. Does that ring a bell? Yeah. Well, we were going through the same thing. So some of you may remember this. In one of the, one of the uh, chapters, people are challenged and encouraged to pray for someone who has nobody to pray for them. Pray for somebody. Some of you have done that. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to leave you with a little challenge. I still have half the sermon yet to go, but leave you with a little challenge. Is there somebody that you know, they have nobody to pray for them? Would you start doing that and start doing that intentionally and start doing that regularly? Okay, so I'm leading the congregation through this study and... Uh, I need to find somebody. So I know who I'm going to start praying for. Our next door neighbor, well, there's a fence between our place and his, but uh, Jack had been, was part of the Chinese Canadian community in Niagara. I had buried his mother. His father had died years before. Jack was my age. He had only one other relative in Canada, a sister who lived out in Vancouver, long piece away. He had nobody family wise in Niagara. And so I started praying for Jack. Now, what you need to know is that the fences, I said, between our places, we had a little corgi dog back in those, at that time. And so Jack actually put a gate in the fence. 
and Finn, our dog, would go up to the fence, Jack would feed biscuits to him through the fence. So we would see Jack uh, almost every day. Well, December, early January of that year, I hadn't seen Jack for about a month or so. Uh, there's visitation in St. Catharines. My dad had become very ill, uh, had died that January. And the first time I see Jack in a long time is at the visitation. He comes uh, the Friday night. And I say, Jack, haven't seen you. How are you doing? And he said, well, John, to be honest, uh, I haven't been well. I've been diagnosed with terminal cancer myself. And uh, I went to see him a couple of times at uh, Greater Niagara General Hospital. And the last, uh, last time I saw Jack, before he passed. I'm, I'm walking down the hall at GNGH. I hear singing. I hear singing. <clears throat> I get to Jack's room. I said, Jack, what's that you're singing? And Jack had been part of the church 60 years earlier when it was old first church downtown. And he hadn't got there since a new church had been built 40 years earlier. He said, oh, it's a song I learned back in Sunday school at the old St. Andrews. And he's singing, the wise man built his house upon a rock. The wise man built his house upon a rock. And the rain came tumbling down. Everybody know that song? Yeah. Jack hadn't been to church in 60 years. And two days before his passing, he's singing that song. He had learned so long ago in Sunday school. And I said to Jack, because see, I've been quietly praying for him for over a year now. I said, Jack, do you know that? And he said, yes, John, my house is on that rock. That wouldn't have happened had it not been for a Christian community that years before had planted the seeds of faith that came to fruition in my neighbor so many years later. And so one of the lessons is the value of the Christian community itself. And the, the third lesson, there's more than three really, but you probably want to beat the Baptist to Starbucks, so... I'm going to limit it at a three. From the uh, words that we heard Tim read a few moments ago, when I uh, arrived at Queens to go to seminary uh, 43 years ago, that first year our preaching professor assigned us four sermons we had to write. One on an Old Testament text, one on a New Testament text, a doctrinal sermon, and something we could do whatever we wanted. Well, the Old Testament text he assigned, and it's been part of my heart and life for 43 years now, was from, from Isaiah 40. Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. And I can testify to that throughout that time period. The faith itself is what sustains us. I uh, could have done other things for uh, employment. And I, 
I thought this as I was nearing retirement was that even if I hadn't been a minister, I'd still be a Christian because of the hope and strength that our faith gives, that our faith gives. In uh, 2007, our youngest daughter, Ruth, had moved out to Calgary to start a job teaching. She'd only been out there for a month or two when she became very, very ill. She had a rare blood disorder. It was actually featured on the medical show House, if anybody remembers that uh, that show. And uh, it was very serious. It, it was finally traced to lupus. That's the underlying disease. But when we got the call, we jumped on the first wet plane out of Hamilton to Calgary, arrived at the hospital. We were there for about a week or so. Things started to improve. She ended up being there for seven weeks at uh, Foothills Hospital in Calgary. I'm a Neanderthal when it comes to technology, but uh, after she'd uh, been there about a week or so, started to improve. So I had some stuff to do back in Ontario and uh, came back here. One day, Orv and I were uh, going to Five Oaks United Church Conference Center uh, near Paris, Bradford area. And so we went to this uh, day-long event. I had a phone call. Keep your cell phone on in those kind of cases from my wife saying, there's been another downturn, can you come back to Calgary? So made arrangements to fly back the next morning. And Orv and I are driving back, so I was going to drop them off in Burlington from, uh, from Five Oaks. And Orv says to me, John, I, I just feel so helpless with Ruthie. And uh, I said, yeah, we all do but not hopeless, not hopeless. Because those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. And the God who claims us, who knows us by name, never lets us go. And so if we keep our eyes open, and if we keep our ears open, and more importantly, if we keep our hearts open, I'm sure there'll be other lessons to learn. Let's pray. Holy One, we say in our United Church Creed that in life and in death and in life beyond death, we are not alone, that you are with us. And so with gratitude, with deep appreciation and with trust and confidence, whoever we are, we commit all that we know of ourselves to all that we know of you. Amen.